Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another show. Cody, this is uh, this is going to be a fun one. This is going to be a great episode. I can feel it. Can you feel it? The, the season is starting to bubble. It's starting to percolate. It's like a soup that, you know, it's starting to simmer and all the flavors are coming together. How, how, are, how are you feeling? Okay, so... You're you're a guy that that cooks once in a while. Am I right about that? I like I like to cook. I don't know if I have time to do it anymore, but I love theoretically. Yes, I I find that like soups and chilies are almost better as leftovers. Like you let it oh, yeah. simmer overnight, right? That's that's a common. They thing. marinate in their flavors. Second and third day flavor is, is superior to first day flavor. Absolutely. Yeah, it's al- it's almost better to make it and then be like, I'm actually not going to eat it the day I made it, and then I'll just I'll come back to it later. But the the smells the smells always draw me in. I'm always like, I should have just waited. Yeah, Cody. Also, speaking of food, uh, sent the Thinking Basketball group the most the most uh, Wisconsin comment he's ever made in his entire life. Uh, it was something about how at Thanksgiving he likes to have the venison juice. And it makes a fantastic gravy. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's absolutely the best. The best Thanksgiving food that I ever have is is venison with mashed potatoes, and then you take the juices that the venison was cooked in, which usually has has onions. You take that juice, and the onion, you toss it all in the mashed potatoes, and it's like this 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 wet gravy that's just tremendous. Yeah. Please tell me that's not the most Wisconsin thing. I also apologize to the vegetarian <laughs> listeners out there. It's a, it's a lot to take it. You want to talk about basketball? Should we, should we just jump and talk about basketball? Yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's just transition immediately. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get off this topic. Um, I am working on a video, which, depending on when you listen to this podcast, may or may not have come out. It is on Luka Doncic. And before we even get into the specific thing that the video is about, I, I just feel like why why aren't more people talking about Luka Doncic right now? Have you seen this person play basketball this year? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think there's actually, even within the short season we've had so far, I feel like there's been a really interesting development in the way that the Mavericks use him in the way that he he plays. And so I just think he's been a fascinating watch this entire season. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but just from a statistical lens, if you are a subscriber over at patreon.com slash thinking basketball, you know on our daily leaderboard that this guy has been out by himself in our box plus minus model this year, and he and Nikola Jokic are about tied for the best offensive box score players in the game. He's averaging 35 points per 75 possessions. Cody, uh, th- 35 points on positive efficiency. He's passing better than ever. And the thing to me before we get into what he's doing differently, what the video is about, what Dallas is doing, the the thing to me that stands out is his conditioning looks better than it's looked in a while. And he just kind of has a mastery that the combination of the way he's using his body in terms of size because he's like a good 6'7", 6'8", dude. In terms of strength, he's throwing his weight around and powering people and leaning into people and feeling them and, and moving them when he needs to. And then the quickness, which is you know maybe not his peak quickness from his second year in the league when he was a little smaller, but that's there as well. So you have this incredible combination of that physically with the skills, the ball handling, the change of direction, um, and then the tempo 
is the last thing where, where he's just like a little dribble, a little dribble. And he has these subtle sort of micro fakes and he'll stop and start and throw a pump fake that's really quick and subtle. But uh, there's one play in the video where he he backs down Bull Bull. You're, you're familiar with Bull's son, who's seven foot two. Yes, Luca, the point guard, backs him down and then hits him with this little like half ball fake thing, which is all it takes for Bull Bull to lift up on the top of his tippy toes and get off balance. And then even though he's seven two, Luca can still score around the basket. So it's uh, he's just like at an at a level for his style of play that outside of just becoming a great shooter overnight. I'm not sure what else he can do at this point. He's like ridiculous this season. I like that you bring up the micro fakes because this, his slipperiness has just been like up a few notches. Like I feel like his handle is as tight as I've ever seen it. And then the fakes, that's the thing that just, that's the thing that really stood out to me is he, he backs you down. You know, he does like a Barkley kind of post up like 18 feet away, gets you down a little bit. And even though I think, I think there he was, he was being defended by Tory Craig at one point, just hits him with a series of fakes. And Tory Craig is like there, like locked in. Like I'm going to take this guy out this possession but no he just keeps faking and faking and faking and after a while you're just gonna give into it it was like Dwayne Wade whenever he'd you know he'd do a step back pump pump fake jump into you every announcer is like why do you fall for that well it's, it's Dwayne Wade like you're, you're just going to and Luca just knows that hey if I just keep mashing this I'm gonna get the look that I want and I'm gonna get you on your tiptoes or I'm gonna get you going in one direction or I'm gonna get that off-ball defender to move just a centimeter away from where I want you to be and then he just attacks so he's he's kind of just like mastering the the mental part of the game it seems like you know what it feels like it feels like he's a puppet master mm. in those spots where he actually has a string that is somehow connected to the defender and and maybe it plugs into the ball and he just moves the ball in his body in the right little way to just subtly tug defenders left, right, up on their tippy toes, rock them backwards. And and yeah, the feel and the change of direction and all that, we know about the passing. Um, he is just, <laughs> he's, he's playing at a really high level. And then you get to the next part, which is really fun with Dallas, which is how they're using him and how that offense is operating. You know, last year we talked about the Mavs as they came on and Jalen Brunson and you kind of have these uh, multiple playmakers and point guards. Well, we know they don't have Jalen Brunson this season. Spencer Dinwiddie, he looks better physically coming off a big injury, getting another year under his belt, another offseason. He's got a little more burst. He's got a little more lift. And so even though you don't have as many playmakers as you did last season, you have two really good classic offensive creators, point guards in Dinwiddie and Luka. You have the role players around them, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, Tim Hardaway Jr. is back. Now, Tim Hardaway Jr. isn't shooting 40% from three right now, but you know the, the, the infrastructure, the ecosystem there is well set up around a dude playing at this level. Yeah, and I think a comment I made, I don't know how many episodes ago it was, but I was I was a little bit concerned by the way that they were using Luca earlier in the season. Like his his offensive load was like getting to the point where I was I was getting pretty concerned about it. You know, I called him Icarus in the terms of like how close are we going to be flying to like when you maximize this load. But that's kind of tapered off a bit and you can see it in the way that they're playing. Like they're they're using him a little bit more in off-ball action. Something that's really stood out to me, uh using a, a term a term that you've coined, but low viscosity. 
when it comes to their passes, right? Like Luca can just like, again, he gets somebody to come for a double. He kicks it out, but it's not immediately like a shot. Like it's not always him creating a shot for someone. He kicks it out to say, you know, um, Dorian Finney-Smith, one extra pass to Dinwiddie and Dinwiddie improved shooter this year so he's knocking it down i think there was that portland game when he knocked down like three really clutch ones but he's also a really gifted passer in that position too where he can find a seam and then find somebody else for an open shot so it's kind of this cascading effect on offense that i didn't quite see earlier in the season i'm like you know what i think this is the main adjustment and the main thing that i'm seeing differently from the mavericks at this point in the season well you still have the leftovers from last year where dorian finney smith especially dinwiddie even Reggie Bullock, these guys are quick to make extra passes around the horn. So, you know, when you talk about like viscosity, it's a it's a fluid flowing offense once that first pass is made, once that advantage is created and they're willing to move it around and find the better shot. That's in a traditional situation, you know, where they where they get a kick out, they get a double team, they get something. Dallas and and the focus of this upcoming video they're putting Luca in the post more than they have in prior seasons. He leads the NBA in post points right now, Cody. <laughs> Did you know that? I didn't know that, especially yeah. after Embiid. I was that kind of shocks me actually. Yeah, Luca. Luca is first in the NBA in post points, and they're doing it in a variety of different ways. You you mentioned Charles Barkley and the back down. He'll just back down an advantage. When he has it, he will operate from the sort of mid-post, pinch-post area uh, as a passer and as a scorer. I love what Dallas is doing in some of those instances. I think we mentioned it in maybe the first show of the season where you'll get plays like um, they'll throw it into Luka and they'll run split cuts. But unlike Draymond Green, he's not only looking to pass, he's waiting and looking to see what opportunities unfold as a passer and then he can immediately blend that right into a fadeaway a spin a back down himself if they clear it out so using him in the post more and using him on all sorts of spots all over the court that are inside the three-point line while still having some movement it really captures the combination of his passing and scoring in a way that I think synergizes with that roster very well right you've got these three and d players you've got some guys that can move and and dinwiddie's the other sort of playmaker out there so bringing luca inside the three-point line it's not like he's a great three-point shooter anyway it doesn't really hurt in the modern game it, it's sort of to me it feels like it adds another dimension or another wrinkle where pick and roll might be the fastball and you play spread pick and roll or Dallas likes a lot of Spain action or staggered screens where three men are involved. But now now you give it to him in the post and it's like, this is a uh, a slider or something. It's a, it's a similar pitch, but it's coming from a different angle. It's got, it's got some hot sauce on it. I just, I just really like it. I think it also connects back to you saying that his, his endurance looks better. I think setting up in the high post, pinch post area like that preserves his defense his defense preserves his endurance pretty well because if you keep if you're continually running high pick and rolls like that's just a lot more space and a lot more going downhill offensively right and if you can kind of get him stationary it almost reminds me of like a like a more 2013 LeBronish type of position where you get him in that area and then operate in that position so I think that's also like an added benefit to the fact that he's not just doing a bunch of high pick and rolls but another action i saw i i connected it back i think you you made this connection with a uh with the Cavs when you were talking about their offense where 
they kind of use this comeback screen for Kevin Love, and I feel like I've been seeing that a lot more with Luka. Like, he's going down and setting a pin down, then popping right back up, getting another screen for someone. So instead of, like, I catch the ball 40 feet from the basket, I'm waiting for Powell to come up and set a screen. This time, I'm actually catching the ball on the move, and I already have a head of steam, so that just makes me that much more deadly. So I think, A, you know, not running those pick and rolls necessarily out of, a, out of like, nothing, and then B, being able to operate in the high post like that kind of preserves his his endurance a lot more than just spamming pick and roll continually. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I, I I've been watching Atlanta the last couple of days. Um, not how much Atlanta have you seen? I, I feel like they've played like the Bucks eighteen times already they this have. year. They have they have played the Bucks three times, I yeah, believe, yeah, already. Close enough. Yeah. So it's like you watch the hot. Both both of these teams have these pick and roll maestros, some of the best passers on earth, and they have some similar skills. And of course, they've been linked because of the the 2018 draft. But it's like, theoretically, your offenses are built around these heliocentric structures. And they are at the top of the league in offensive load, basically, right? So you would think they're very similar. But I feel like between using Luka in the post, getting Luka off ball a little bit, but having him flow back into on-ball actions and things that you just mentioned, and then even the way they like to run their pick and rolls in Dallas, where... As an example, you'll have a guy in the dunker spot and then he'll sprint out of the dunker spot, almost like a Spain pick and roll, like like the pick and roll is happening up top and the guy in the dunker spot, instead of staying and spacing there as an option for a lob or a lay down pass or something, he'll sprint right up through the middle of the paint out to the three point line. That stuff creates confusion in the defense. That stuff changes sort of how defenders play you, and it also changes how dangerous off-ball players are. And that's what's jumped out to me about watching the Mavs and then watching the Hawks and just kind of going back and forth a lot in the last few days watching them. It's like Atlanta runs a lot of stationary stuff. They like to run pick and roll. Now they've got DeJounte Murray. So you have Trey and DeJounte Murray, and they almost literally take turns. Like one of them will stand in the corner, and they the way they have it set up is it's very like... I I mean, at this point, it goes back to my conversation with Mike Prada. It's very passe. It's very like 2017. They're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put three guys behind the three-point line, and we're going to run spread pick and roll with Trey Young. It's like defenses know how to defend that pretty well relative to where a league average half-court offensive possession is. So, yeah, I like I like everything I'm seeing in Dallas. I feel like... Luca is continuing to evolve as a player. The footwork in the post, the fadeaway, the way he's using his body. And this is all being blended into the offense and the personnel. Whereas a situation like in Atlanta, it feels more stagnant. It feels it feels like there hasn't been as much growth. It feels like, and we can get into the Hawks offense if you want, but it's like it doesn't it doesn't maximize the roster 
that setup uh, in the best possible way. It feels like there's two different offensive playbooks. Like there's like the the Trey leading the offense offensive playbook and then the DeJounte Murray. So like Trey, he still has his double drag screen. So like this is a very common action. He's been running, run, ran it a lot last year, previous years. He comes down, two bigs immediately come up and then maybe Capella dives or Collins dives and Collins might pop while Capella's diving. Either way, it gets, it gets Trey going to a space where he gets to take a pull-up jumper. It gets bigs going down where Trey's able to hit them for a lob. It, it's a great... Uh, type of possession for Trey, but Dejounte Murray relegated to the corner. Go over there, stay and watch this happen. He, he's he's literally standing. He's just standing in the corner. Yeah, like like and again, it goes back to a couple episodes ago with Mike Prado, where he was talking about the subtle but meaningful difference between standing in the corner and you know as an action's happening, lifting up and moving ten feet or uh, a little back cut possibility or maybe the two guys are setting screens just just anything but we're literally talking about possessions where they just stand in place as the pick and roll happens and yeah that's that's the thing especially with Trey Young like DeJounte Murray doesn't quite run the same double drag sorts of actions but the point is when DeJounte has it he's creating Trey is almost quite literally completely stationary in the corner which is like you know someone might be listening and being like well isn't that good Trey Young's a great like catch and shoot shooter well, maybe maybe not this year he's not but Ideally, Trey Young's a great catch and shoot shooter, so he's adding some value there. But he's not adding value beyond somebody that could just like generally shoot. You're not adding value from his incredible quickness, from his maybe you know top 99th percentile passing ability in the league right now. So if he's just standing there, you're completely taking away like 90% of his actual effectiveness. And you can even see like there are elements, there are times when Trey Young actually shows off. He can be a bit more uh, creative. I think there was a play. I think it was against the Bucks where he's in the corner. And he's being defended pretty well. It might be Javon Carter that's defending him at that point. And he back cuts. He does this really quick back cut, gets the catch, draws Brooke Lopez coming in, and throws this beautiful dump-off pass for a dunk, right? And so it's like, this is what Trey Young brings to the table. His ability to draw defenders, find open players for easy shots, and just use his incredible quickness. And if he's just standing in the corner, he brings literally none of that to the table. That, that play... You're talking about he started off ball on that play, if I remember. Yeah, he's starting off correctly. ball. He's in the corner. Yeah. yeah. Well, what what jumped out to me about that play is how long it took to sort of activate him as a weapon. I can't remember who the the teammate was. I think it was a big mm-hmm. who had the ball and was looking to like reset into something, and he finally dribbles it toward Trey. And that's a very common action in the NBA where you have one player in the corner and you have a ball handler and you dribble at the player in the corner and he can come up and catch a, D, uh, a handoff and curl around you um, or he can backdoor. But it just kind of like, even that it was like, no, we're going to wait. We're standing, we're standing, we're standing. And then finally it's like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll run this. And Oh, I feel a little back cut opportunity. Um, but yeah, they, he's not to me, He's not super active or much of a threat as a cutter or a screener. And then the other little thing off ball that I'm I'm a, a little more attentive to. I don't I don't I got to keep an eye on it. I don't know how I don't know how consistent it'll be, but what I've seen so far is the the catch for Trey Young is a slow process. He he's not catching and and attacking as he catches the ball. In other in other words, he's not a slasher right? He's not what we talked about with Zion Williamson earlier in the season. Like he's not catching it and going on the move. 
So that's another element of being off ball where they'll run actions with both Trey and DeJounte on the court. It might start with Trey. He might flip it to Murray. Murray's the one getting the screen. And then Murray realizes like, oh, the defense has shifted over toward where we are. I want to swing it to the other side and punish them. Swings it to the other side and Trey catches it. And then Trey's like catching it. And and he's like, well, you know, actually what we should do is run some pick and roll instead of catching it and attacking that in my, that micro advantage somehow. So it, it, it feels like it's kind of like you look at Dallas and you're like, oh, they're optimizing all the pieces. And you look at the Hawks and you're like, there's a lot of there's a lot of talent and good players on this team, but it's it it doesn't fit in the the best way possible, it seems. Yeah, I think actually a great contrast to this is way earlier in the season when James Harden was healthy. The What the Sixers were able to do is they load up on one side and they have Harden and Embiid doing some kind of action. So the, the defense is completely shifted that way. And then you have Maxi on the weak side, right? In the weak, the weak wing. You swing it, you reverse it to him. And in the chaos of the defense trying to rotate back, Maxi's just like, bam! Like he just explodes. He's so good at going right off that catch. And it's the exact opposite. It's like, it's like, you know, when you're on a trampoline and you're trying to like bounce your friend as high as possible because you have three people, if you like time it perfectly and as soon as everyone hits the trampoline and you like bounce, you explode. But if everyone just like stopped right at that point and didn't actually jump, everything just like resets and you don't get anything out of it. So like Trey Young is just like landing on the trampoline without giving that extra jump. It's all that wasted potential energy. That's exactly the, it. Do you have some trampolining uh, tips that you could you could give us? Were you a big trampoliner? I, I wouldn't say a big trampoliner, but like I've I've done my fair share of trampolining in my day. Um, man, I I don't even remember what we were talking about. Uh, the 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 Hawks. Um, the other thing is the guys around them. So, well, actually, actually, before we do that, let's just say, after watching the Hawks, I thought, like, Trey and DeJounte Murray, I think, I think it was the first play of the game against Philadelphia. This, is, this was about as ugly as an opening play as I can remember, because usually you come in, your first play, you know what you want to run, or everyone's fresh, and they're like, of course, we're going to get into our offense, we're all set off the jump ball, and... Uh, this was a very busted kind of first play where just nothing nothing materialized. Nothing even came close to materializing. Uh, the Hawks were relatively stationary. And then the play ends, the sort of backup reset option is DeJounte with the floor flattened out like he's DeMar DeRozan going to work inside, you know, 18 feet or whatever. And he, that's, where he's, that's where he's really skilled as an offensive scorer. And so I think he ended up making like a tough bucket in the paint or something in isolation. And so you get two points on the board, but I was like, this sums up the Hawks. They have enough talent to kind of tread water. Trey young is brilliant. He's a genius. Sometimes DeJounte Murray can bail you out of possessions, but this is not the way a good offense looks in the opening possession of a game. It felt like Trey young was almost like, all right, we're going to get DeJounte Murray going a little bit by letting him start off, start the game off. Now I, I have some numbers because I actually find this pairing to be really fascinating. It's fascinating. And I was fascinated to watch them as the season started just because, you know, I, I was a little concerned that these sorts of things would happen, but again, it's early in the season. I think they'll be able to figure it out at some point, especially if Trey starts making some more shots like he usually does. But some, some of the on-off numbers with them is just... Honestly, Ben, one of them is mind-boggling. Like, I'm going to build up to this mind-boggling thing. Well, first of all, when they're together, like, their offensive rating is pretty solid. Like, when they're both on the court, they're like a 117 offensive rating. 
That's that's decent these days. Yeah. yeah. Le- league average is about 113 right now. So for your two best players to be on the court, 117. Not great, but decent. And and um, just as a reminder, the Hawks, because I don't think we mentioned it yet, the Hawks offense is just a shade over league average right now. They're, they're like a middle-of-the-pack offense. Yeah. And I want to emphasize, I want to stay on this tray without Murray bit for a second because when he's on without Murray their offensive ratings like 111 a little bit a couple points under league average their net rating in total is like negative seven when it's just Trey without Murray like they're they're a bit of a train wreck defensively which you know Trey Trey's tough on defense like that that could be its whole other discussion but the thing that blows my mind is I don't remember exactly what the number is because I think it's changed since the last time since the last time we talked about it. Are you pulling it up right now? I've got it. Yeah. I, keep going. I'm going to get the updated number. It, it's an unbelievable number. Keep keep going. So Build up to this. Let, let me give you some context. When I was talking about Luca and being concerned about him having too high of an offensive offensive load, I think he was sitting at about 67, right? 67 offensive load. Whereas right now he's gone down to about a a, a 62. Right. And when Trey is on the court with Murray, he's averaging like 22 points, 50% true shooting. It's pretty gross. Still getting about nine assists a game without without Murray. He balloons up to 37 points per 75 possessions. And Ben, what is his offensive load jump up to without Murray on the court? Yeah, Cody, it's uh, 78. It's it's 78. Uh, so let me translate that in literal terms because we, we've reached a point where we need to discuss exactly what that means. That means that on 78% of the Hawks' possessions, he's directly involved in the finishing of the possession. So he's either scoring, he's either creating a shot, he's either turning it over, getting to the free throw line, uh, and technically that tries to pick up extra passes that are critical for layups and things like that. But for for perspective, I mean, what's the highest for a full season in NBA history? Do you remember? I don't even think it's 70, right? It's in the 60s. No, it's in it's like low 60s. Low too. 60s. Yeah. 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 And it's stuff like Russell Westbrook 2017, some of James Harden's seasons. The reason why is, one, it's hard to run every half-court offensive possession through anyone. Two, you have stuff like transition and loose ball fouls that are possessions where your star can't, you know, you just can't touch the ball. So to be at 80% of possessions in this figure, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And to your point, it's not necessarily working super well. I mean, 38 points per 75 on minus 5% uh, true shooting right now. These are really fascinating splits. (laughs) These are just crazy numbers. With DeJounte, you don't get the same jump no in fact one thing that's interesting to me is the fact that his i just said the fact twice uh his his scoring volume is about the same whether young's on the court or off the court and he's not really efficient in either situation and that's another thing when i mentioned the the mismatch of the roster or optimizing the roster when Trey Young's running pick and roll and you have DeJounte Murray as a stationary weapon in the corner or on the wing above the break or whatever it is, the defense is not going to treat him like he's some great shooter. And so you're not getting a lot of value out of Murray in those possessions. He's literally just standing there and the defense doesn't care if Trey Young swings it to DeJounte Murray for a three because that's, that's not his game. That's definitely not his offensive game. And so... When Trey is on the court right now, he's averaging 20 points per 75, about league average true shooting. 
When Trey's off the court, he's 22 points per 75, minus 9% true shooting. So he does a lot more playmaking. He tries to do a lot more scoring. So his scoring attempts are going way up, but they're not efficient in that capacity. And I don't think that's entirely about DeJounte Murray's limitations as a playmaker, ball handler, central figure. I think it's like DeJounte... why am I totally blanking on Hunter's first name? I wanted to DeAndre. call him De- DeAndre. There's too many D's <laughs> in my head. I'm like, I'm like DeJounte Hunter. That's not right at all. DeAndre Hunter. Uh, they play Clint Capella. They play a lot of double bigs with Capella and Collins. Even um, Okongwu, who I really like as a defender, and he's got some extra passing chops. It's like there's not a lot of offensive talent to space the floor or create a lot of easy opportunities for someone like Murray when Trey goes to the bench. And then we get back to some of the Nate McMillan X's and O's, which I think are a little too vanilla for that kind of roster. So the result is like, there's decent amount of talent. John Collins has decent offensive talent. Trey Young has some brilliance. DeJounte Murray does some really nice stuff. There's, there's things there that get you to like an average offense, but it's difficult to really succeed with an average offense and an average defense or playing playing that much defensive personnel at times and not having an elite defense. And that's why the Hawks are, uh, you know, if you look at their indicators, they're roughly around a 500 team in terms of the quality of their play right now. I do wonder, I do wonder what the numbers would look like, how much better the offense might be if Trey Young was shooting to his regular ability. Because his, his, Efficiency is dreadful right now. And one thing that's really, I mean, he's shooting basically less efficiently from from everywhere. Like his his catch and shoot percentages. Last year, he shot 48% on catch and shoot attempts. This year, it's down to 37%. That's a lie. Let me try that again. He shot 48% on catch and shoots last year. This year, it's 27%. So it goes from 48% to 27%. Last this is catch and, catch and shoot threes? Catch and shoot threes. How many how many catch and shoot threes has he taken this year? Well, this year I think it was about one point seven attempts a game, whereas last year it was like one attempt a game. So he's taking more per game than last year, but that's a dreadful drop off. And his his pull up threes, uh, his pull up threes, he shot thirty seven percent on pull up threes last year. This year down to thirty two percent. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this has always been my concern with him that his shot diet. He's not a great enough shooter for his shot diet to make him... I mean, he's already a great offensive player, Mm -hmm. but given his defensive limitations and given some of the other things we're talking about here, off-ball play, his his size on the court, like, I think for his shot diet, you want him to still be able to make a higher percentage or just be able to generate easier shots. And I feel like, you know, he can't do either. He can't necessarily generate easier, easier shots, and he's not a great enough shooter to hit the kind of shots that he gets, even in catch and shoot. Like, I don't think that's his, I don't think that's his back. I don't think he's a, he's a great catch and shoot three point shooter, even if we had a better sample or even if this wasn't a slump. And, and as I say that I do, I do want to have a little mea culpa because I really like Trey in college. I had this concern about him as a prospect. And I think he's actually, I think he's generally succeeded in the NBA. Like, I think the idea of Trey Young as a great offensive player has materialized in the NBA. So I'm very happy to be wrong about that. But I do think when we when we get up to like his limitations or, um, 
you know, what, what we can expect as a ceiling or maybe why things aren't easy to sort of course correct in the last few seasons. I think you're running into these kinds of issues as potentially limiting factors. I don't want to say limiting factors because he's still just a fantastic offensive player. But, you know, we're we're ignoring the elephant in the room, which is when, you know, you look at you look at just about any defensive number, he looks like an historically bad defensive presence out there. So you have to offset that somehow. To your point about easy shots too, his rookie season, he shot fifty six percent within three feet. Last season, shot about sixty two percent from within three feet. This season it's down to 47%. And I think it's really stark. Like, there's a couple of layups where, you know, he comes in, I think it was against the Bucks. he goes in with this left-handed layup, and I think Brooks kind of lingering there, and it seems like he just, like, alligator arms it to try and get it up as quickly as possible. And it feels like his size is starting to, it, to show its uh, detriments on his driving abilities, this season more than others. I don't know exactly what's contributing to it, but it really jumps out of the film when I see him driving all the way to the basket. I mean, to me, though, what do you think about this? I, I feel like that could have just as much variance, in a sense, as outside shooting. Because some of the... I know I know what you're talking about. You know, you watch some of these games. I know the exact play you're referring to. He made a great move to get to the basket, and Brooke Lopez was lingering. And then it's like, my brain expected him to finish it because he is really skilled with the ball, and he's got touch, and he's he knows how to finish with his size. And then he instead, he just threw up this wild thing that completely clanked off the backboard and the rim. And it's like, what is is that being nervous about not getting calls? Is that not being able to generate calls in those positions like he could in the past where he can lean in or cut people off? Is there is there a little bit of a specific refereeing crackdown that's throwing him off in those situations? Or is that just variance and there's no way he's going to shoot 45% at the rim for the entire, like it's going to, it's going to go back up. It's going to regress to the mean. And by the end of the year, we'll be like, yeah, Trey's efficiency ended up being decent because he got to 56% at the basket. Now, I feel like I've been being really negative about Trey. So I, I want, I want to shift this a little bit because one thing that's really stood out to Trey is Ben, he is just a spectacular passer. Just a spectacular, like, we're at the point now when we talk about the greatest passes of all time, I'm comfortable saying his name in that same breath. Like, this guy, do, do you not agree? Just a sec, you, you made a face there. Can you interject? Do you not agree with that assessment? I always make a face. Um, <laughs> I agree with the assessment. All I was going to ask you is, would you also put Luca in that conversation? Yeah, I would. I would. You see, you have hesitancy. You have hesitancy with Luca. Okay, talk talk me through this. I, man, I feel bad for having hesitancy. I would put it up there. I think the reason I got hesitant for a second is in my head. I was trying to have the conversation over who I would rank over the other, and oh, I I don't know. I feel like with Trey Young's burst, with his speed. I feel like I want to give him the edge. I feel like I want to give him the edge in passing, just because his added his added burst juiciness so to speak in getting downhill um but if we were just like in the same sort of situation like you, you know like the one-on-one -on -one game that nba players play where they just like catch on the elbow and they have to make a shot after like three dribbles if you put them in that kind of situation i'd rather take luca but if we include their speed and first step i'd probably take trey over luca as a passer as a, as a of, passer don't because don't bring it up don't bring it because up of the, no 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 because of the juicy burst i'm trying to yeah. i'm trying to understand trey's a juicier okay. burst he's like a starburst compared to whatever luca is okay so you're saying you're saying you think that 
sort of uh, jitteriness in the paint opens up more for him as a passer? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, I mean, it's it's tough for me. I, I think I think there's things that Trey can do as a passer that he does a little bit more consistently than Luca in in a in a fluid context. But I don't. I think it's only slightly better. And then the flip side is. Luca is so good in the structured context. Like that's why you're seeing him throw passes over his head and kind of um, I think multiple times this season driving into the paint and no looking at not just not just like a vanilla no look like really like Magic Johnson like he he knows the player is in the corner, he knows the player is at the top. Um, he catches it in the post, he knows where someone's going to be. Uh, his size is a thing that really stands out to me. And when I think, when I think about it at, at the playoff level, hmm. that's what jumps out to me. I think Luca is probably more resilient in terms of continuing to be able to pass under pressure. Whereas Trey, I mean, even the Sixers a couple of games ago, they were trapping him a lot in the fourth quarter and he still made a couple really nice passers because just his, his passing chops are, I think historically great in the all time sense, which is how we got on this conversation in the first place. But it's like, in a postseason setting, if I had to nitpick, I think I'd probably take what Luca gets me against any defense. Like that's the compelling thing about Doncic's offensive game and him him as a heliocentric weapon and the prospect of Dallas being able to make a run like there's some kind of upgraded version of the 2007 Cavs or something. It's like everything you see with him, it penetrates the best playoff defense in the world, whereas Trey, especially after the Miami series last year, it's like, uh, I'm, I'm a little more, I know he has it in him, but if I have to nitpick, maybe I go the other way. I, I don't know. I wasn't planning on making this comparison. You've really put me on the spot here. I'm sorry. I, I know that's a, that's a tough one for you to just be ranking people willy nilly like that. One, pa- one pass that stands out and you're right. The Miami series is just really, at least a really bad taste in your mouth, right? We start with food. We're going to keep talking about food. It's just like, it's a sour. It's a not good Starburst. It's a rotten Starburst, so to speak, with his explosive juiciness. But the Sixers, like, Trey is, I think I think it's an isolation, right? Might be a pick and roll, might be isolation. Whatever the case, he's like 40 feet from the basket, I think sort of on the right side. And the Sixers behind him with Embiid in the middle kind of like build this diagonal wall. Like, it's almost like they're defending Giannis, where it's like, we're going to do everything we can to stop Trey Young from getting into the paint. And Trey, like, maybe dribbles up to 35 feet and then just throws a lob and then gets an easy basket out of it. Like he's yeah. he is such a good lob thrower. And I think the thing that maybe, maybe I'm giving the Trey the edge over that stands out is I think he makes those home home run kinds of passes better. Like he's like, oh, there's an inch of daylight. I'm gonna throw this lob and it's gonna work out. And I think Luca, maybe with like the kickout passes, an interesting thing between them is Trey loves throwing bounce passes off the bounce with either hand, whereas Luca like goes over his head. Like he's like throwing a throw in from soccer, like a post up and like throw the skip pass that way. I think it's a little bit more controlled, but Trey is like that chaotic, like, ah, this is a two point basket if you don't stop it. I, I just a lot of like starburst talk, juiciness. It, it's I'm I'm having flashbacks to the venison. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what's going on in this show. Uh, Luca to me, and we started the episode here, and maybe it's a good place to to try to wrap up. He he has continued to improve. I think along the margins. I'm still waiting for the shooting jump 
But like, even if you look at that post game, I mean, he's got the fade away. He's got touch in the in the mid post area, and using his size to generate those shots. Which we've just been talking about him as a passer. I think I think he came in as a great passer, and and when he took the jump in his second year and announced that he was really going to be a force, he was a great passer then. But I think he's continued to improve as a passer. Trey, it feels like, you know, the what was the 2021, the season where they made the run to the conference finals. We had the lockdown and then we came out of the bubble and we had an abbreviated offseason and teams typically that didn't have to play in the bubble or go deep in the bubble performed a lot better there. Uh, I feel like I feel like how, how like how much has Trey added in the last two seasons compared to Doncic, that's kind of where my head is at. Yeah, I think that's a very fair comparison. And I hate looking at the stats, but like, again, the fact that there's, I think there's 76 players averaging 20 points per 75 with at least 150 minutes played. Yeah, let me, let me say that again. <laughs> let me say that again. What? 76 players played at least 150 minutes and are averaging over 20 points per 75. You definitely don't hate looking at the stats. That was that was dishonest. That that was I love it. I could just sit here and just like read things from the database. Just like one line but after the other. How is that true? 76 players yeah. in the league are average. So like basically because offensive efficiency is so good, the what used to be like a 20 point cutoff or something in the old days, now I mean if you if you did the inflation adjustment we do historically and we did in our summer series, these numbers would actually go down a little bit because it's like the twenty four points per game is the new twenty points per game. Yeah, that and 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 my point with this is Trey, out of these seventy six players, he has the uh, the fifth worst efficiency out of all players averaging twenty points per seventy five. So like when we're comparing offensive players, if you're down that low, you're just you're taking so much more off the table. And Luca being, like you said, thirty five points per seventy five and he's doing it on plus efficiency, plus the added passing, like, man, th- this dude has definitely grown in the way that he's able to attack a defense. Yeah. Um statistically, what's really interesting, even after this entire conversation, we've talked about the quirkiness of the Mavs performing so well with Luca on the bench. Do you have a theory about that? Do you have a theory about why the Mavs continue to play very well with when Doncic goes out of the game? You know, I've heard some theories out there, Ben, but I myself, I don't, I don't have a theory that I feel feel good about sharing with the public yet. What's a, what's a theory that you've heard? Because I've heard a, I've heard a theory as well. Okay, so a theory that I've heard is basically Luca's teammates are preserving their energy while sharing the court with Luca because he's taking so much of the load. So when he goes off, they're able to like ramp up their own cardio level and just just go at it while while the opposing team is a little bit more gassed. It's an interesting theory. We yeah. could I, I feel like that is testable. I feel like you could check to see if the Mavs players move less when he's on the court. I will say from my eye and, you know, we're talking about some of their X's and O's. They move plenty when he's out there. So I don't know if I, mm-hmm. I see the difference. But, but it's a fascinating thing because traditionally players in this position that do so much when they're on the court, scoring and playmaking, carrying these heavy burdens, when they go to the bench, the team falls apart. And then the criticism for those players has been like, well, they have inflated plus minus numbers, Ben, because the team is, is constructed 
to succeed when they're out there and then what are you going to do? There's only one of them. So when they're on the bench, of course, they're going to fall apart. And the opposite has been true in Dallas. Anyway, all of this is to say after this conversation uh, where I think Luka Doncic should be getting more discussion about how ridiculous he's playing on the offensive end in this regular season so far, the Mavs offensive rating with him on the court is only about 117. And the Hawks offensive rating with Trey Young on the court is 116. Yeah, but again, like... It's tough because we don't have the comparison where there's like, I guess we do. What is it, do you do? You have the numbers for what it looks like when Luke is on the court without, say, Dinwiddie, who I guess is like the second ball, the Dejounte Murray to Luca. You you mean we were we were earlier we were doing, um, Dejount, Trey on the court with Dejounte off the court. You're asking about when Luca's on the court and Dinwiddie goes to the bench. What do what do those numbers look exactly, like? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm asking. What we have to do is we have to ask our uh, crack stats department to see if they can get on that and, and how quickly it will take them. And we will get you those numbers shortly. Before, before I pull them up, what do you expect them to be? How about that? Oh, wow. Do you know if, uh, what the offense looks like in general when Luke is off? Um, it's, I think it's similar. I think it's similar to when he's on the court. I think that's part of the, the fact that it doesn't change. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, do what do you ex, do you expect the same crazy offensive load we saw with Trey? Do you expect the efficiency to go down like we saw with Trey? That that's that's kind of the the fun I'm having while I'm while I'm stalling. I think Luca's offensive load will look pretty similar to when Dinwiddie's on. I think it's look pretty similar. I don't think it's going to crest seventy. Um, I think overall he's probably going to look more or less similar. Maybe their offense looks a little bit worse. I don't know. That's, that's that's my guess. This is my favorite game. Uh, offensive load is seventy three. Okay, so I was wrong. We're wrong for for Luka Doncic when Spencer Dinwiddie is off the court. Okay. He's averaging forty one points per seventy five <laughs> possessions on sixty seven percent true shooting. That is plus ten percent relative to the league. If you're not watching this on some YouTube clip, Cody has just fallen out of his chair and um, he, he looks like he's getting the Ludovico treatment right now from a clockwork orange. How, how are you feeling about that? Did you say 40 plus 10? Yeah. Well, is that's normal, right? Oh 40 plus 10. God, that doesn't even make sense. I was really wrong, Ben. Like I wasn't even like in the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, you can, um, you can, so those, those numbers are provided by our friends at play by play stats. Just a, a wonderful site where you can get some of those raw numbers on these players. Uh, 40 plus 10 is, I mean, we should almost pause the show just to, just to catch our breath. How, how is that a real thing? It's like, it's like when jaw threw down the switching hands poster dunk the other day. It's like, we just, we should, let's just stop the game and just appreciate this. Like we're, we're talking about the history of the league. Like this just happened. Like let's, let's appreciate that. We don't have to play for like a minute. Just revel at it, and then we can keep going on. I feel the same way about this stat. Yeah, I should also point out that the Mavs are plus 17 per 100 in those 200 minutes where Luka's played without Spencer Dinwiddie, and they have an offensive rating of 126. 26. So, yeah, so that's just that's just weird. They're getting outscored with Dinwiddie and Luka on the court, and they only have a 110 offensive rating. But then when Din- Dinwiddie goes to the bench, it's... Uh, 
plus 17 with a 126 offensive rating. And this is this is all very small sample theater. This is about 200 minutes versus 300 minutes. We probably need a sample that's five times larger before we really even think this signal is for real. But hey, it's it's fun to play this game in November. I mean, come on. I, I'm sure the audience at this point is like, can you just like go another hour of just like reading stats and reacting to them? Like, I think that's that's all they want at this point. Let's just bring up stats, react to them, just say it's ridiculous. I, I think that's what everyone's here for right now. If you want more of these stats and you want to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We do have our uh, new website uh, that has these stats on players and a ton more. Also, we have a, a live Q&A. We have a, a Discord community where I've heard rumors, Cody, there will be a bot inside the Discord community for our deluxe subscribers where you can query said stats from our database that we like to sit around and, and read all the time. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Thanks as always for listening all the way through with us on this one. And of course, wherever you are, Hope you're having a great day.